What's the Story podcast is brought to you by Manscaped, the best in men's below-the-waist grooming. Manscaped has taken over the world and is now available in all of Europe. For our listeners in Ireland, the UK and all across Europe, you can now purchase Manscaped products. So get yourself the right tools for your family jewels. We're all friends here. Let's, let's be a little bit honest with each other. We've all tried to give ourselves a little tidy up, probably using the scissors and going delicately around the edges. Some of us might have tried a different razor that nicked us or scratched us. Some of us might have even ventured into the world of hair removal cream, which probably left your tallywhacker on fire, irritation and itch, and you praying you never have to go through that again. And ladies, I'm not just talking to the lads here. If you're sick of your fella stuff, looking like an angry Rastafarian, then Manscaped is what you need. The Lawnmower 3.0 electric trimmer is the greatest male grooming trimmer on the planet. If you haven't tried it yet, you're missing out. This third generation trimmer is waterproof. It features a cutting edge ceramic blade to reduce those grooming accidents we talked about and the battery will last up to 90 minutes. The good news is the Lawnmower 3.0 is included in Manscaped's Perfect Package 3.0 kit. That kit also includes Crop Preserver, otherwise known as their ball deodorant. It also comes with Crop Reviver, Manscaped's own ball toner. Use these on your boys below the waist and you're going to feel refreshed and ready for anything. The Perfect Package 3.0 also comes with their Shed Travel Bag and anti-chafing boxer briefs to complement not only their Perfect Package, but your package too. Head on over to manscaped.com and put in the code WTSPOD to get 20% off your order and free shipping. Yeah, that's right, 20% off your order and free shipping when you use the code WTSPOD at manscaped.com. Head on over, check it out. Your balls will thank you. Hello everybody and welcome to WTS Pod, episode number 222. Remember that ad? 22222. Two, 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 two. Oh yeah, what was that yeah. for? Uh, I can't remember, it was Pat Shorter, wasn't it? Was it was the 222 bit uh, the digits of a phone number he was advertising? I think, yeah, I think so, yeah, yeah. 1-800-222-222 Yeah, I can't remember. Yeah. Someone tell us. I bet you, do you know who will tell us? Jared. Jared, who listens, will. I bet you he'll tweet us and tell us. He will. Long time listener at this point and a gent by all accounts. I love when he posts photos of his car because I think it's basically a spaceship. Yeah, Tesla. It's just, yeah, it's just mad. Um, but anyway. He's showing off because he has a Tesla. Yeah, if I had one, I'd be showing off ground, quite frankly. Um, yes, yeah, so I'll just tell us. You know, you know. Um, but yeah, anyway, hello and welcome to this, the 222nd edition of the Award Winning What Story podcast. My name is Danny Murray. And I'm Graham Merrigan. All right. Graham, presume you are in extreme comfort 
groomed to perfection thanks to our friends in Manscaped. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. That's it. That's like I've it. New, I've, I've, my, my town halls have never smelled better with the exclusive Manscaped ball deodorant. That's it, yeah. And you're using that, that crop revolver. Toner. You're using that crop revolver, eh? Oh, absolutely. This is it, and This is it. I tell you one thing. I've said it, I said it on the podcast a couple of weeks ago, and I'll say it again because uh, after, after using the product again, the LED torch is ridiculous. I never, like, I, I don't think I could use a razor that doesn't have a torch now. It sounds so stupid, but at the same time, man, until you've experienced it and until you realise how simple and how effective it is, you're missing out. You're missing out. So get your Manscaped. Go on to manscaped.com. Get your 20% off uh, plus free shipping. Just enter in the code, or the coupon or code voucher, WTS pod, and uh, enjoy. That's <laughs> <laughs> um, anyway, Merlo. Yes. Do, do you want to waffle about, or do you just want to go straight into uh, our wonderful guest for this? Um, week? I suppose I'll briefly. Um, oh, very good. You know, you know my my hatred for the monarch. For I, all I, monarchs. So I, I apologize. I'm recording downstairs, and there's a clatter of noise in the background because the dogs are being fed, which is actually kind of on theme with this episode. But just if. Oh, if, oh very good. Yeah, if you can hear a load of noise, apologies. I'll have words with Oksana later. She'll get two days in the attic for this carry-on. <laughs> um, good enough for her. Only joking, Oksana. <laughs> um, no, you... Yeah, I don't like monarchs worldwide. You don't. I, hate you monarchs. Don't. I hate the idea of being born into privilege for nothing. Um, and you and I had been talking, as we do every day, and you were telling me you are watching The Crown, and I was thinking, right, will I start it? And I do love history. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I watched it. I'm on season four. And I enjoy it. And I'm delighted it has... Um, my my hatred has grown for Monarchs even watching it. <laughs> so of course there was, never a, there was never a chance, I don't think, of me having empathy for any of these characters, which I don't. Um, and you, thanks you, for putting me onto no, it. You've no empathy at all towards them. For any of the characters, none whatsoever. Even the hardship that Philip, Duke of Edinburgh, has had to suffer? Absolutely not. What hardship? His family dying in a horrific plane crash after his sister gave birth. Yeah, I suppose. Yeah, I suppose. Having having to flee a country in an orange crate for fear of being murdered. Yeah, there was elements of it, but I got over it quick enough. Oh, yeah. I mean, during those scenes, the scenes were actually very good. It's it's very well produced, and it's it's a really, re- I think it's a really good show. Um, yeah. It's a high end soap, isn't it? Uh, yeah, like I think it's it's. I don't aug- mean that derogatory either. No, no, I get what you mean. Like it's it's augmented fact, I suppose. They're kind of embellishing some of the stories, aren't they? They're taking a bit yeah. of Hollywood privilege, so to speak. So like, they they are the Hollywood style of Philip's story. Um, yeah, you could you could not watch it and think God love him, um, but as soon as Philip evolves into the ghastly human being that he is, did you not feel sorry for El Margo at all? No. In what sense that she wasn't the queen? Well, I mean the sense that she she's always second fiddle. She couldn't pursue the love life she wished. Then. Well, I did feel I did feel 
But like this, here's the thing: she could fulfill that love if she wanted to, but she didn't want to get rid of her privileges. But to get rid of her privileges would mean get rid of her family. Essentially, it's not. See, this is the thing: she's not just, she wouldn't just be giving up the titles. She'd be essentially uh, excommunicated. Sure, look, look what happened to uh, the Duke of York. But they didn't. She hardly loved Townsend, though. Come on, like you only knew him a few months. Ah, look. I just find I the whole think, thing... Well, it wasn't a few months. It was much longer than a few months. But I find the whole thing, when I was watching it... Did you do this when you watched it, that during the episode you'd pause it and you go onto Wikipedia? Uh, well, I'd, I'd go other places other than Wikipedia, but yeah, I would. I'd, I'd pause and I'd be like, jeez, I didn't know that, and I'd go and have a yeah. Google of it and whatnot, yeah. But, what uh, other places would you go other than Wikipedia as, as a source of history? Various history websites, various... You know, Royal yeah. Archives and that kind of thing, yeah. I just Google and Wikipedia comes up first and then, like, yeah. some of the stuff you find out is crazy. I am enjoying it. I'm up to season four where uh, Diana Spencer enters mm. um, and there's there's somewhat empathy over over that shit show of a marriage um, with Charles that the marriage should did never you, have happened. Did you, did you in any way enjoy... Charles uh, going off to learn Welsh. Did the the Welsh Republican character appeal to you? Um, I felt that was just a filler episode. Did you not? Oh, I enjoyed that. I thought that was no. I, I did not. I did not enjoy it. I just hmm. it was one of those episodes where you, I was browsing Twitter at the same time. Like, gotcha, gotcha. Yeah, but over overall, you've enjoyed your foray into watching. Ah, uh, that. I've definitely enjoyed it. I've, de- I've, I've definitely, I've definitely recommend it. Like, yeah, if you're, I've, I if you're a series watcher, a Netflix watcher, um, yeah. and you know, it'd be something that if you haven't watched, you'd be watching over the second week of Christmas. You know that week where you're just looking to watch TV. Uh, it's like I've, I only started it two weeks ago and I'm nearly finished it. I'm really enjoyed it. Like I've enjoyed the characters. As I said to you when I started season three. Um, it took me a while to get uh, used to the new cast because yes. obviously the characters have, have evolved and got older, so they needed to change the cast, and I understand that. But it just took me a while, and now I actually prefer uh, Olivia Colman to Claire Foy as as Queen Elizabeth. Do you? I, I, maybe, yeah, maybe. I I prefer Matt Smith as Philip, though. I thought he was a brilliant Philip. He was a brilliant Philip, yeah. Yeah. The, but the 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 newer Philip, I think, looks resembles resembles him more. Ah, he does, yeah, yeah. yeah what do you make of Charles? I think. Off, I I think your man that plays him is absolutely brilliant, especially because now you're on to season four, right? So I don't know if you've noticed it, but if you look at season three, Charles, and season four, Charles, it's the same actor, but in season four, he's developed that hunch and that kind of lean forward. That yeah, yeah. he didn't have in season three, so he's progressing the character physically as well as we're getting yeah. into very kind of artsy, wankery kind of nuances are, yeah. of whatever. But but it is because the the character evolution is a big part of the show, and it's watching it because they got each each series is a decade effectively, isn't it? Yeah. So you know, thing. Uh, uh, oh, what's her name from X Files? Gillian Anderson as Thatcher. Amazing as Thatcher. You want to you want to boxing in the face like yeah yeah you know um you yeah, me abs- well, absolutely like, amazing was it you that texted me that you didn't think it was possible to um hey thatcher more was that you that texted me that uh 
it might have been because I remember watching it and I remember just I couldn't like I was sitting there and I was like hang on a second hang on right this this is a TV show where somebody is portraying Thatcher and I've never in my life like I mean I watched Game of Thrones and I hated Joffrey Baratheon but I mean like you're one one playing and as well the fact that Thatcher was a real person and all that but like and a real wagon yeah but you just did like my blood was boiling watching her like she plays her so well and even the the the, the way she treats her own children like exactly yeah and Mark was her favourite and all those bollocks Thatcher um, was a prick and uh, (laughs) Gillian Anderson uh, enhances that for her it's not very often that a female is referred to as <laughs> so when you equal here to all awards, when you call Maggie Thatcher a prick, I love that. To be perfectly fair, um, uh, big thing there was I loved um the corgis, uh, yes, yeah, the dogs in it. And this week on What's a Story podcast, we're going to be talking to a dog whisperer, dog trainer, and this is our interview with Mac from Good Boy Dog Training. Mac, the dog genius, has now joined us. Uh, Mero, you've been working with Mac for a couple of weeks now with your beautiful Sugsy. So, yes. right, give us give us your side of it then. How how did you find Mac, and what have you been doing? Well, I got first got in touch with Mac because um, my dog is a Hungarian Vizsla who's just full of energy. Wait, hang and on, hang on, hang on. Get the plug in early. How did you get in touch with him? Oh, I got in touch with him uh, by going on his Instagram, good boy underscore dog training. Lovely, lovely. <laughs> actually got in touch with him through Lindsay, good friends of the show, Lindsay and Austin. Lindsay? And, uh, Lindsay? Yeah, Lindsay. <laughs> Danny always pretends that he hates Lindsay. Lindsay was actually a host of this show back in the early early days. Oh, really? Yeah. I've, ne- I've never heard of her. Never heard of her. <laughs> Danny still can't take it that she left us. So. Abandoned. 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 <laughs> So I got in touch with Mac because I wanted assistance with uh, Suggsy walking by my side um, because he was just dragging. And like Mac described, he's dragging because he can't wait to go to where he thinks he's going and, and stuff like that. So gave me great guidance. And uh, the, the I suppose the homework that Mac gave me, um, I put into play straight away and I was getting results within a day like proper results and then i was actually skipping some stages of the homework he gave me because the results were so advanced and in terms of mac was saying uh do this distance then do this distance but i was actually doing longer because uh sugsy was responding very well now it was hard because um i wanted sugsy to walk by my side but it's hard to do that it's hard to teach that because rewarding the dog um and pushing the chair and holding the lead it was a it was an absolute mindfuck trying to do that so i actually wasn't always rewarding sugsy um it was just i was rewarding him with pets and saying good boy and stuff like that but mac had said that the, the visla itself are really very intelligent and um yeah, i felt he he came on brilliant and and now like while he still drags he he corrects. I can correct them um, yeah. easily. And my dad notices. My dad takes them for the walk in the mornings, and he notices as well. Like it's almost like 
it's almost like he's aware of the wheelchair now as well and that he's scared that I might run him over. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Mac, Mac, when when did you start good boy dog training? How long are you in the game? So I actually only started it. I actually haven't had the, the company for that long. I mean, mm. I've been training dogs for ages, um, but it was always kind of on the side. Like it was very much... I'd have my dogs walking around or doing obedience something, and then somebody would come up and say, "Hey, would you do that with my dog?" So I just take their number and then kind of do. I did it for free for ages. Then I was like, "Oh, maybe I should start charging." And then it wasn't until when was it? Maybe I'm just trying to think. Sorry, July. I think I set it up in maybe June. I set up mm. an Instagram page, so I'd been doing it a good bit before that, you know, for a long time. And then that was when I kind of took the plunge to like set up a company and set up like social media and stuff and start doing it that way. And I followed like a lot of trainers in the States and essentially just saw what was working like on Instagram and stuff and what people were, were kind of responding to. So I was like, I'm just going to start doing that because I don't see anyone else in Ireland doing it. And in terms of a country with some things we're very, very progressive, but with other things, we're still very far behind. So in terms of dog training, like a lot of people don't really understand any kind of canine psychology or behavior. Mm. So I just was like, I want to make this like accessible. And it was also partly because I was sick of seeing dogs. There's, there's, there's one in the background. I'm not sure <laughs> you can hear them. <laughs> she, she, yeah. wants, she wants to come on. It was also mainly <laughs> because I was sick of seeing dogs struggling for very simple fixes you know like little things like pulling on the lead or just yeah. small things or recall and people were getting really upset about it and i was just like this isn't that difficult of a thing if i can kind of unpack it in a kind of easy easy to navigate way you know yeah yeah and then so it's it's kind of basic obedience training and then do you do kind of more advanced stuff for people as well like if yeah yeah you do stuff for show dogs and that kind of thing as well or no not really like so i'm really into uh personally like i'm really into working dogs and stuff okay Um, yeah yeah there's a sport this is going to be boring for most people but there's a sport called igp which is essentially a bite sport so within that you have like obedience tracking and protection and i'm really into that that's just like a hobby i really like but as in i wouldn't be i i work with like clubs and stuff with that but not so much clients but in terms of like what i do look it's whatever the person wants you know so a lot of it it can be behavior modification sometimes people get a dog from a rescue that for the first day or two the dog's fine and then all of a sudden the dog starts trying to like kill their grandmother or something so then i'm like all right we've got a bit of work to do or it could literally just be like a lot of puppies at the minute of course with covid and stuff a lot of people getting puppies so a lot of that is just setting the dog up for success. And then other people just sort of want a good recall or the dog can walk yeah. nicely. So it's it's kind of anything, you know? Yeah, yeah. Uh, and is, is every, like, I've over the years, I've often met dog owners where they'll, you go to their house and you say, oh, geez, and they'll say, oh, God, I love your dog. And you start petting them. And they'll, they'll point out the flaws of the dog. And the dog might be six or seven or whatever. Is, like... Is there a loss caused to dogs or can are all dogs, no matter what age or no matter what uh, personality trait or whatever, are they all kind of fixable? Mm, yeah, that's a good question. Like, I mean, the whole like old dogs can't learn new tricks thing is complete bullshit. Um, because a lot of it is mindset, you know, and dogs are the most, I think the most adaptable animal that there is, you know, in terms of maybe 
cohabitating with another animal like dogs get along with cats and can get along with a monkey or anything do you know what i mean so you can train them to just about do everything now if there are obviously certain genetic parameters within that so you're not you might you're not going to teach a a bichon to be a protection dog but if 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 a dog has been reactive for six years you can definitely manage it and stop it essentially being reactive um yeah 100 like there's no kind of age limit like unless like and again i i don't like saying everything is fixable and i don't like talking about it in that kind of linear fashion but i always people always message me and say oh my dog's seven is it too late like no way like if your dog's been pulling you for seven years could probably stop it pulling you in about 20 minutes you know but it's if if they have to keep doing it you know because seven yeah. years of the dog's life the relationship with the person is maybe slightly skewed you know so that's the hard bit the hard bit the dog can do it it's just can can the person do it you know yeah yeah so and you could fix something like that in 20 minutes probably like it's very it's it's like walking on the lead and stuff is is in I could do it in 20 minutes. Do you know what I mean? And I don't want to sound cocky in that in that sense. I'm not saying, okay, you've 20 minutes with every dog, teach it not to pull. Like the majority of dogs, it's quite a simple, you just do a few exercises and then build it. But I find I find the challenging thing is getting the owner to be consistent. Because I think in this country, I've noticed especially, and I have dog trainer friends in the States and stuff, this country, we treat dog training as a chore almost. As in like, oh, I have to go out and do this thing. Whether I know people in the States which do have pets and do really advanced obedience stuff just because they enjoy it, you know? So yes. in turn, you get a better life and a better relationship with the dog instead of this kind of like, oh, I have to go walk up and down a road with a dog. People just want the finished product without um, maybe wanting to put the work in. But when, when you put the work in, that's the enjoyable bit, you know, for me. So is there an element, is there an element of you having to train the human as well as the dog then? I'd say that's what it is 90% of the time. Really? Jesus. Yeah. Christ. 90. Like as in, I'll go to people and they'll say, oh, my dog's really reactive to dogs, right? And they'll say, okay, and maybe I'll get one of my dogs or whatever and I'll bring it to the session. And I'll say, okay, walk past my dog. They walk past my dog and the dog like loses it, right? And so I take the lead. Then I take the lead and I walk past and the dog doesn't do anything. Because what's happening is the person is so scared, right? Or maybe nervous. And they've every right to be. Like, I'm not I'm not kind of shitting mm. on them. Like, you've every right to be nervous. You don't want your dog to hurt another dog or something. But they preempt the dog's reaction, right? So straight away, they go stiff, and then they wrap the lead around their hand. So the dog, before the dog has even made a decision, the dog goes, right, whoever, whoever here isn't in control of the situation, I'm making a decision, right? So the dog goes... I'm gone, I'm reacting. Because straight away, the person sees the other dog and goes, oh shit, and gets all tense and pulls the lead really tight, wraps around their hand and starts panicking. So dog picks up on that straight away, you know, yeah. straight away. Um, but when you're relaxed, then your dog turns around and goes, okay, well, if you're relaxed, I'm relaxed. If you're anxious, how the hell am I not going to be anxious? Yeah. You know? <laughs> yeah. Because they feel everything through that lead. Like that lead is your communication system. Like that's all it is. Like your voice is not directional, just that lead. So if you put pressure on that lead you're telling your dog something and so it's just important if if you do have a reactive dog that what messages you're giving it you know 
do harnesses make a difference? I've heard some people say never put a harness on a dog, and then look, I mean, mm-hmm. I I've three that I put the harness on, and and I love them, mm-hmm. but I've, I have heard people mm-hmm. say, Jesus, now a harness is the worst thing you could do if you're trying to get them to behave more on the lead. Yeah, I mean, again, that's a good question. It's I'll, I'll go off on a tangent here quickly, right? That's and fine. You you go I'll on come, all the come tangents full you want and answer your question. So dog training is incredibly politicized, like so much so that like both sides of the spectrum are at war, right? Both sides of the spectrum being like kind of force free, positive only trainers. Okay. And then balanced trainers. So trainers that use positive reinforcement, but maybe also use corrections. Okay. Mm -hmm. So ultimately both want what's best for the dog and both are as stubborn as each other. In my opinion, right? You get, positive only trainers that like stick their heels in and will make facebook groups about balanced trainers because the person didn't walk the dog in a harness and they think it's cruel and so it's very tribal and very very toxic it's a very toxic world actually and a lot of people don't know that until you're in it and then you're getting messages from other trainers and other people kind of going why'd you do that that's cruel blah 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 um it's just so so the reason why i say that is that is where this whole um essentially harness generation has kind of spawned from in the last i don't know maybe six seven years that all dogs now wear harnesses all mm-hmm. of them like I, I rarely see a dog on a collar anymore and um, and look i think whatever the tool is whether it's the collar or the harness if that works for that individual dog that's all that matters you know a lot of the times harness harnesses in my opinion and in my experience encourage pulling because you're trying to control the strongest part of the dog which is their chest and while you think you might be giving having more control you actually don't because if you control the head of the dog you control their whole body as opposed to trying to control the chest where you're kind of just moving a big a big object around and so it, it really, to answer your question in a not so kind of thorough answer, it really depends on the dog. Like I know my dog, my big, I have a boxer. I know if I walk him on the harness, like I, he knows heel, I can tell him to heel, he'll walk nicely, but he, he'll also pull me if I let mm-hmm. him. Do you know what I mean? Um, like I know for a fact he does way better on, on, on a collar than a harness. But then I'll use a harness if I go for a run or for, if I'm up in the mountains or something like that. Yeah, yeah. It's it's mad, like, and you're saying it's so politicized. I love that because it's, I, I don't know, I'm coming from completely ignorant to the dog training world, but I'm kind of like, I, I love the idea of these kind of almost like little wars taken between the two. Yeah, yeah there's, the two there's, a, there's, a, there's like, a sitcom in there, like, there's definitely there a sitcom in there. It's crazy, like, it really is crazy. The only thing I can equate it to is like left versus right in terms of politics. Yeah. You know, and that's what it is. And like, either side of both is bad do you know what i mean like way too far right we're bad way too far left we're like come on so you you need you need balance i think in everything like look i'm i'm a lefty but i i'm not like so far left that i'm offended by everything do you know what i mean like you you either side of the spectrum so only force free like you have people now that don't even want to put leads on their dogs right like, isn't that's how how far bad it gets on one side? Because they would yeah. don't, they don't they want to give their dog the option if the dog wants to go the direction of, of the person, right? So that's like what? an example. 
that's like an yeah. anecdotal example of like the worst side of it, you know? And then also on the flip side, I get it. You have balanced trainers that are maybe 90% aversive and 10 for their positive reinforcement is just good boy. And the rest of the time they're yanking on the dog and punishing the dog, which isn't good either, you know? And so I, I where I lie is I don't really label myself as either. And um, like dogs learn through positive reinforcement. Like that, that's a fact. And any good trainer will tell you that. Yeah. But um, I just tailor it to the individual dog. Like there's no point me turning around and saying, oh, I only use positive reinforcement because what if that doesn't work? Then where do I go? You know? Yeah. Yeah. You, you mentioned there a couple of minutes ago and I'm, I'm going to be selfish and hog somebody air trying to ask about uh, stuff that I've encountered with, with the three <laughs> uh, with members of the wolf pack here. So you, you said about dogs reacting to other dogs, right? So essentially what we have, uh, we've, we've three Huskies. Um, one was the mother of the two pups. It's a brother and sister. Um, now we, we, we bought straight up, we, we bought the boy, uh, Lupo, and mm. he's a big lump of a lovable beast of a dog. Then we have Callie, who's the mom, she's seven, and then Polly, who's Lupo's sister, we rescued the, the mom and Polly, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> to make it kind of overly complicated, I suppose, uh, we had Lupo and Callie, the pup and the mom for about a year before we took Polly as well. We we then rescued Polly as well and brought her in. They all get on great. They're all fine except for when there's food involved. Yeah. Callie, Callie, the mom, there's no problem at all. She she never is involved in any of the squabbles. She never, she just cool as a cucumber. She actually lies down eating her food. I've never seen a dog do mm-hmm. that, apparently, but yeah, she does. Um, but uh, Lupo and Polly, the brother and sister, they they will fight sometimes over food. Usually speaking, Lupo tries to veer in to take Polly's food. I presume it's some sort of dominance thing, or else I'm gonna sound like just a, a bit of a twat saying that. But uh, <laughs> but I, I presume that's what it is. It's him almost saying to her like, "I'm I'm in charge." But sometimes they may, do have may, a bit of a squabble. Like could just want. Or he could just want her food. Like, well, he is a hunger. Yeah. <laughs> Fair to him. He's the most food-motivated dog we've ever seen in my life. Like, yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, like, like I don't, I don't know, know the dogs, but my yeah. initial thing would just be, I would. How old are they? The brother uh, and sister. T- they'll be three in February. And do you feed them all at the same time? Yeah. So do you like put the three balls down at the same time and then? Yeah. If one of them finishes earlier, he might try to go over to the other one or something. So, some, sometimes he hasn't even finished his own food. He just thinks what's in her bowl might be nicer. So he'll eat a yeah. bit of his and then he'll he'll walk over and they'll have a little snarling contest. And then we'll be like, all right, mm. enough, enough. And we'll click and that kind of thing. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, I mean, what I would I, I can just tell you what I would do um, mm. in those situations is I would just be hand feeding the dogs. So I oh, would, okay. if you feed, if you feed, say, what time? What time do you feed them breakfast usually? Uh, usually between half seven and eight o'clock in the morning. Yeah. So what I would do is the oldest dog would get fed first. Maybe that dog in a different room out of the bowl. It depends. Or again, hand fed, and then I would just take the dog outside and I just do some really basic obedience and hand feed them all their meals. Oh, so okay. a couple of things happens there. One, the food comes directly through you, right? So you get elevated in the dog's world because yeah. when you hand the dog a piece of food, that's a transaction, okay? So if you tell the dog to sit and give them a piece of food, boom, you're paying your dog, right, with something of values, and it's come directly from you. 
when you pop it down on the floor, the dog doesn't know you went to the shop and bought that food. That's just kind of there, you know? Yeah, the, yeah. the initial association is there that you put it down and then the dog sits and then goes and eats it. But it's still out of the bowl. It's not coming directly from you. Do you know what I mean? Mm. So what can happen is then we can kind of get into the, the realm of maybe some resource guarding. Um, and if that's always the issue, I just say, well, we're not going to give the dog resources to guard. But I think I always tell people, especially people with puppies, to hand feed but try it i mean try it for for a few weeks and see you'll probably notice the difference because if 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 it does nothing else it'll just make the relationship with you and the dogs better yeah. and just do it at different times you know just one at a time just so there's a bit of bit of a structure and a bit of order and, and with that just, the dog's working for the food too then you know would that would that uh, employ or like would a, would a similar thing then be worth doing so it sometimes extends as well to uh to their toys so if, uh, say, mm. Polly has picked up a particular toy, uh, Lupo yeah. will have no interest in the toys at all until he sees her taking the toy away and he's like, that's the sure. one I wanted and he'll go after her. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, I would, so again, yeah, I'd do the same thing. I The dog only gets a toy when I'm playing with the dog. Okay. So my, like, for example, my do- one of my dogs is two, right? Yeah. He's had the same tug since he was eight weeks. And he will run through a glass wall for that tug because <laughs> he only gets it when I play with him, right? So he might only get that for 20 minutes at a time. And then I take yeah. it away and it's gone. And he doesn't have access to it. So when I get it out, I have a lot of motivation. Yeah. So everything becomes a lot easier. So I don't want to get into the realms of just giving him a toy and say, okay, go entertain yourself, man. Mm. I want to be playing me and you. So I'd be doing the same if Lupo or one of the other dogs, whatever, if you have a toy, it's like, right, let's go to the garden. Let's play for 20 minutes with one of you. Leave them inside. It's always important if you have like a multi-dog household to spend time individually. Do you know what okay. I mean? Like just go for a walk with one of the dogs or just go play fetch with one of the dogs or just do something with one of the dogs like as much well, as you Well, I didn't know so that. They get a yeah. bit of you time. We've, we've yeah. tried that. We tried yeah. walking them individually before and there was riots in the house with the two left behind. Oh, Abs- say, yeah. absolute <laughs> riots i'd say the neighbors were calling the guards one other neighbor didn't know if the house was going to survive it was mayhem <laughs> so yeah it's um jesus so what would you do there then mac if the other two are are, are sulking away that they're not going to i mean you have to think in ter- like context is important there because like mm. the dogs for what two years have been doing a the same routine right so yeah. when you do change that routine there's going to be protest you know yeah i would i just do it short first i just go short walks on their own and i'm not saying you have to do it every day but i think it's important especially if you have brother and sister dogs like as in two siblings mm. it's really important to like separate them at times because you can have a thing called littermate syndrome which is where the two dogs bond to each other more than the person right more than the right. human because the two dogs are just joined together since since day one essentially so yeah. they become very very kind of uh into each other and don't really care about the person now, i'm not saying that doesn't sound like you have that situation i think you'd know if you had that situation but like i have two dogs sometimes i'll just take one dog out for a walk and just like hey just me and you dude and yeah. then sometimes i'll take both of them but it just depends like i try do a little bit on their own every day i'd start that way i'd just take one of them to the garden at a time do five sits in a row and feed them that way and then build yeah. it up you know because we, we we would now we'd give them kind of individual but then we're also 
devils for getting a dose of the guilds there for giving one attention and the other one that's going on the other side of the room giving you that look of like well I'm, yeah. I'm getting no scratches I'm not getting my belly rubbed yeah, we will go and be yeah. like alright come on then that kind of thing <laughs> but like what a lot of what you're saying there is like I don't think it's that um what, what did you say it was called litter, litter mate syndrome did you say it was called L- yeah no I don't think I think you oh, yeah I but, but know, they like... they do have this weird kind of separation thing so even for example right sure. so we bring them to the groomer and uh, the groom will do kind of like the, the, take all three of them in, but do two of them at a time kind of thing. So while the other two are getting groomed, say Lupo will be in, in the, the bed or in the cage, basically crying because he's not the one on the table with them. So yeah. there is a kind of separation thing, you know what I mean? But yeah, I, it's mad. Like I'll, I think uh, I'll try that, especially the hand feeding thing. That's interesting. I'll definitely yeah, give that I a think bash. You'll have, I think you'll have success with that. Or do they have crates? Um, no, they, they were crate trained, but... We, we don't bother now that like they're fairly good in terms of sure. like th- yeah, there's no yeah. major need they have they have their bed they have their their spots that's kind of like that's your spot mm. you know what i mean okay. um, yeah, yeah, yeah but uh but yeah no we we, we didn't bother with the, the crates once they once they got a bit bigger okay. said yeah yeah, yeah. yeah crate yeah, training crazy. has become a phenomenal hasn't it um like i don't ever remember that um Say as a teenager growing up with friends mm. who had dogs i don't i don't ever remember um them having crates but now and over the last five or six years i've seen them everywhere yeah i mean i i think to be honest it's a good thing dogs need dogs have different wants and needs than than people you know and mm. um, it's important that everyone that there's a oh we lost do we lose graham there uh no sometimes he just freezes but he's, he's still he's oh, still okay, there no worries and um, yeah no so yeah i can hear you no problem and um, so yeah i think with crates, what you're doing with with a crate is you're giving your dog kind of a safe place, you know, and you're giving them somewhere where they can switch off, and you're giving them structure. And dogs thrive on structure, and structure equals happiness a lot of the times. When a dog doesn't have a crate, especially a puppy, not so much an older dog, but a puppy, like an eight-week-old puppy, they're constantly living in kind of this tornado of decision making. So they constantly fuck up, you know, and that's not their fault. They're just puppies. They don't know we don't want them to be on the rug or whatever, but they constantly make choices which inadvertently will make us upset and then we get annoyed and it's a whole thing. So when you crate them, you give them that time to switch off. You know they're safe. They can't chew your nice chair or something and they have a place to shut off. So then when you get them out of the crate, your time is super productive. But yeah, I mean, I, I, it's, it's always a challenge when someone says to me that they don't want to crate, you know, and they have like an eight-week-old puppy. I'm just like, it's going to be, it's going to be tougher you know, I know Graham, you, uh, you're, you're crateless, but Suggsy had an accident with the crates. So that's kind of different, isn't it? Yeah. Well, Suggsy tried to escape the crate, um, and out from the roof. And... Do you think that's just the, <laughs> do you think that's just the belly bracken on me? He thought he was in prison. Just <laughs> probably, but he tried to escape it and he got, his neck got caught in it and yeah, it was bad. like he was hanging. So oh, my mom Jesus. and yeah. I was in the room working and my mom went hysterical and I was thinking, geez, the dog couldn't be attacking her that bad. We only have him two weeks. So I went out and uh, <laughs> he managed to, I think with my mom li- gave him some lift, he got, got himself out of it, but he was basically hanging from the crate um, sure. for a period of time. And then that, that Saturday, then um, my dad had him in the crate and locked it. And my dad was locking it to, to clean the kitchen floor and he just absolutely went berserk. Yeah. So 
he was scared. He was actually scared of the cry um, after that. Um, we, yeah, we, that we had him in the cry, and what you're saying there in terms of safe place, I can certainly, from the, we had him in a cry for, say, for about three or four weeks uh, in terms of he was sleeping in it all the time. Um, but we never really shut the door, you know. But he knew that he knew that that was his area to sleep. Or if he got a tree, he would get the tree and he'd leg it to his cray, you know. And he he does that with his bed now, you know. He gets a tree and he goes straight to his bed. We fill his kong and he goes straight to his bed to enjoy it, you know. So, um, that's good. Yeah. Um, I'll just I'll go to a couple of the questions. Yes. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Unless Danny doesn't want to, unless Danny wants to have the time. No, no, no. We'll <laughs> some of the some of the questions there. I, f- I feel like I've just robbed a lot of info from Mac there, just no selfishly. Way. <laughs> um, it's just a bit where we have to reveal you can't actually read, Mero, So it's gonna be awkward. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> how how do you stop your dog from eating poo? Uh, just pick it up before they get to it. <laughs> I mean, that's what I do. Uh, I don't know. Usually, usually they do it. It's usually a nutritional thing when they do it. Um, usually they're lacking a nutrient. I am in no way a qualified nutritionist, so I don't want to be held accountable from that. But from friends that are nutritionists and people that I know, that's usually um what it is. So again, that's just like a management situation. Like, just don't leave poo around your garden and your dog's not going to have a chance to eat it should can i just ask a follow-up to that before yeah. we go on to the next one should like are are generic dog food brands i know you're not a nutritionist in that but just mm-hmm. like kind of generally yeah, of speaking yeah, are generic yeah, yeah, yeah. dog food brands kind of would there be enough nutrition in that or should people look to the specific oh i need to get a particular type of food of a particular type of dog yeah, that's um that's a really good question. And so I feed um I and, and again it depends on the food. Like you know, like if you if you get a bag of Skittles, like chances are it's not gonna be the most healthy option for you. So it really depends. I feed my dogs raw food. So what yeah. that means is raw meat, um like fish, uh raw chicken, raw raw beef, raw turkey, duck, all that stuff. And that'll be that comes pre-made then, and it'll be mixed with some vegetables and uh, maybe some fruit and stuff. So when the dogs are on a raw diet, they get everything in a waste, right? So they only kind of poo once a day, max twice a day, because they're using it all and there's no excess. So that might, if anybody was ever asking me for nutritional advice, I'm just raw all the way because it cleared up all my dogs' allergies, made a gave them a shiny coat. And neither of the dogs touch wood if ever ever had any kind of health health issues. Mm. Cool. Okay. Um where is this one? How do you tra- this is a long one. How do you train a dog to be okay on his own in an apartment with no upstairs? So wanna leave while working from home and gradually be able to leave her alone as I haven't left for two months. She's fine when left in the car, barks non-stop when in the crate during the day, but fine in it at night. Is it okay to leave them sitting down during the day alone? Yeah, I mean, I again, that's just separation anxiety. So separation anxiety is literally what it sounds like. The person goes away and the dog gets anxious. That happens 
for a few different reasons. Kind of all puppies go through this, but we can really aid to it. So one thing I'd say is ignore your dog when you leave the house. If you know you leave the house at 11 a.m., make sure you're ready at half 10. Make sure your dog is in the crate, nice and chilled. And when you leave, have your jacket on, have your shoes on, and just walk out. Look back at your dog. Don't tell them where you're going. Don't tell them they're a good boy. Just walk out. And then when you come home, you do the same. You put your shopping away. You take your shoes off. You do all that, and you ignore the dog. Then you let them out of the crate. Let them jump on you. Be excited. Ignore it until they're calm, and then you can give affection. If you start telling the dog where you're going and bring up the energy level, you bring up the energy level and then you slam the door and walk out. So you're left with the dog that goes from essentially like a two to a 10 and then starts getting anxious. And then just as that dog calms down, we come back in the door and go, oh my God, you're the best dog in the world. This dog's like, oh my God, thank God you're back. You know, so the dog gets rewarded for, for, for you just coming home. Um, and so we inadvertently teach the dog to miss us. So, I've never ever in my life had separation anxiety with a dog and I've had rescue dogs and stuff because leaving isn't an event. It's just part of life. I leave yeah. sometimes and then I come home sometimes. Nothing happens. You know, it's not a big ordeal. And um, I'd say also just feed your dog in the crate. Make sure they do what, what Graham said he was doing. Every time the dog goes goes into the crate, they get a treat. And um, always reward with the dog when they go in and just close the door and let the dog kind of figure it out. They'll eventually be calm. And once they're calm, they can be they can be let out. I think some of the issues, though, Mac, would I be right in saying that people, like, we, you given advice for that, and we could have 10 listeners that have that issue in terms of that question. It's about persevering, isn't it? I think a lot yeah, of the 100%. owners might give it a day or two, and because it hasn't clicked, um, they give up. So I think, I think owners kind of look for a time frame, don't they? And it's like, if it's not in the time frame that suits them, they might give up and say, oh, that didn't work. Listen, man, like if I could if I could print that out and post it on the side of my truck, I would. Um, because it's again, it's not linear. You know, you're dealing with an animal. There's no there's no people always message me and say, how long does it take to get my dog to stop pulling on the lead? Or how long does it take to get my dog to stop jumping? And I always say and I come across quite rude because I'm always like, it depends how much you care. You know, how much work do you want to do? Do you want to do it five times a day for five minutes? Or do you only want to do it once a week? Or mm. do you really want to be consistent? Like if you're dedicated and you're consistent and persistent and patient, you'll eventually get the results because all dog training is, is an accumulation of little successes. So when I was saying to Graham, I was saying, just teach him to, to, to walk with Suggsy next to the chair and just do short turnabouts and stuff. As that gets more ingrained in the dog that's only a small success but that builds you know all these small successes build and create the overall bigger picture of kind of what the dog will be dog training never stops like i have a six-year-old dog and a two-year-old dog and i constantly reinforce on walks i constantly bring food on walks and i'm constantly reinforcing the right behavior because it's like it's like going to the gym or something you can't expect to get a six pack if you go to the gym once every six months you know yeah. and you have to work at it so it's the exact same thing it's just being consistent and then puppies it, it puppy puppyhood is is kind of not that long of a, of a time either it's only what 12 months so and if you can be patient for even three four of those months you're kind of you're good to go yeah it, it, feel, it feels fitting at that point to say if you are looking to go to a gym we'd highly recommend the lab and you can check out Lindsay austin and demo yes. down there um yeah. i mean They'll get you a good six pack. True. Um, 
I uh, one that I was uh, sent uh, to do because you've you've mentioned rescue dogs as well. Um, yeah. This person is having trouble with the rescue. They they've had her for a year, um, and she's fine when you let her outside. She'll do her business, but she doesn't tell you when she needs to do her business. Is there a way to help progress that situation? Yeah, I mean, I would just go back to absolute basics, pretend like it is a puppy and constantly reward when the dog goes. It's important with any kind of toilet training, whether it's a two-year-old dog or an eight-week-old dog, is that you're rewarding instantly. A dog's association time is 1.2 seconds. So if your dog pees and you're trying to reward that, you can't go inside and get a treat and then give it to them. You have to be instant. So I would just constantly be reinforcing the, the good behavior that the dog being going outside and rewarding and just keep taking the dog out every every couple of hours and then over time it becomes very clear for the dog because they say right it's it even if i don't need to go i'm gonna start heading out there anyway because that's where i get paid you know that's where the, the good stuff happens so the dog starts choosing to go outside and then starts choosing to go to the toilet outside that's okay. just what i do it just makes it yeah. you give the dog two options you pee inside nothing happens you go outside you you, you, you go outside you get paid so bring, bring it back to basics, Dan. Back to as if you're yeah. the toilet training a pup. Yeah, that's real, what I do. Real. Um, Mero, I think your video was frozen, but you're still there, are you? Can you hear me? Yeah, I can hear you all right, yeah. but just... Uh, I, video, I don't know. Yeah, video, this yeah. happens. Um, you have a very concerned face on you. <laughs> At least on my screen, anyway. <laughs> How much exercise does a 10-year-old Westie need? 10-year-old? Um, 10-year-old, yeah. I, I, I honestly don't know. Like, it really depends on the dog. It depends on the health of the dog, if the joints are good, if it's healthy. I mean, I wouldn't, with these kind of things, it's really dog dependent. I really can't give you, I can't say 10 minutes because you might have a really healthy, energetic 10 year old dog that needs an hour. So, I mean, I just wouldn't be taking it on bike rides and really long running around, but a walk. Walk's not really high impact, you know. I wouldn't worry too much about a walk. Just running is, is kind of the high impact um, activity there. Um, I have two male French bulldogs. One keeps humping the other. Um, what does this mean? <laughs> um, it means it's probably just overstimulation. The dog's just overexcited. Um, humping usually is uh just a uh, kind of a um a product of overstimulation so your dog is either maybe a little bit frustrated or overstimulated and wants to get a uh wants to kind of not i don't want to say get a release because he's not doing it for uh, <laughs> well he's like also asking this, he's also he's asking doing this me and my dog is gay <laughs> no and um, no, there's unfortunately, and um, in the dog world, that's not how it works. It just means your dog is like excited and wants to play, and maybe a bit. Over. Sometimes you'll see my smaller dog, and it's hilarious. He's a male, I have two male dogs, will hump my now. My small dog, he's a Boston Terrier, he's six kilos, and he'll hump my 40 kilo boxer, <laughs> and he'll just go at his leg. But that's because they've been playing for some time, you know. So he, yeah. it's like when the play goes to the next level and it just comes out in that way. Yeah. So, Mer- I, Mer- really... I, I don't think when lockdown's over, I don't think you'll be able to claim overstimulated as an excuse for <laughs> any of your antics. <laughs> Open the eye, go in, all right? So <laughs> you, you just keep behaving. <laughs> 
my dog, my puppy does not stop. Um, my boy or my puppy does not stop biting. When does this end? How can it stop? God, um, somebody English in these questions, folks. <laughs> yeah, um, you're not going to stop a puppy biting. You can manage it. They're teething, you know. They start teething pretty badly around 14 weeks, and it's kind of the equivalent to a, a toddler sucking their thumb. Like their literally teeth are falling out, and they're getting new teeth. It is a painful process. Their gums are inflamed. They're bloody. They're losing teeth daily. So you need to give them a release, right? So frozen carrots are really good. And um, also, in, just in your local pet shop, get a deer antler. It's like kind of like it looks like a piece of dried wood, so it oh, doesn't smell. Are, you can yeah. put it in the house. They're great, and yeah. if you put it and um, in the freezer as well, it'll numb the gums a bit, and that'll keep your puppy going for hours. And then if it's when you're interacting and playing and stuff, just remove the dog from the situation and or redirect it onto onto a uh, something appropriate like a toy. So when does the teething process end then? Is it the is it the end of twelve months or? No, they should have all their teeth by about eight months. Yeah, right. by eight months. So they go through. Dogs go through kind of two phases of teething, but about eight nine months they should have all their teeth. But it can be a longer process for some. And um, some dogs get it really bad. And they like, I feel bad for them because people are like, oh, it's so annoying. But I'm like, you're not. You got to give the dog an outlet. You know, they need to gnaw on something. So that's why. Frozen carrots, deer antlers are my go-to, and you should give them in, in to your dog in the crate. I love watching Suggsy eating carrots now. It's it fascinating. <laughs> he has he has them like settled in his two paws, and he's just chunking away. But you can see you can see he's actually directing it to a certain area of his gum. Yeah, really. Yeah, yeah. yeah it's fascinating. Funny, isn't it? Yeah. Um, next question: There is are e collars humane? Yeah. So what's e-collar? What's e-collars? So an e-collar is an electronic collar, right? So contrary to popular belief, it is not a shock collar. I am very opposed to shock collars um, and very opposed to people using them without the correct knowledge, skill set, or um, even the correct tool. And so an e-collar, I have an e-collar for Herbie, and I use it only for recall, right? Um, what, I don't know if you know a TENS machine, but it, it, it provides a stimulation, right? And it's used in a very positive way. So again, back to Ireland being very backward, like these are very uh, like expensive units. They're about like three, 400 euro. So they're not something that just some kind of doofus wants to go and harm their dog. They're not gonna spend money on this. You can get units that are shock collars. They're about 50 quid. And I'd say run for the hills if you see this. But the good units are really humane, really good. But you have to know what you're doing with them. Like any tool, they can be abused. A, a leash can be abused. Um, mm. Like if you want to abuse an animal, you don't need a tool to do it. You can you can use your shoe, you know. So, yeah, you'll always get idiots. I think there should be some regulation around the tool. I think you should have to do some kind of course. Um, but I I know how to use them. Um, and you just the kind of proof is in the dog anybody I've helped with them or you can look at my dog and look at his tail and he's a happy dog it's essentially your off-leash communication tool so if I'm hiking so you condition your dog to it you start on very low levels so it's literally the dog you're teaching a dog a language and that language is the stimulation so when that dog feels the stimulation they have to come to you right 
so if I let my dog off lead and I'm hiking, I know 100 times out of 100 times I can get my dog back. And, and that's very important because I could have the best recall in the world, but if a deer comes around the corner up in the Wicklow Mountains or something, I don't want to take the chance of maybe will, will my dog go from or will he not, you know? Or if there's some, a squirrel on the road and my dog wants to run off. And because dogs are animals at the end of the day and I care too much about him to even think about endangering his life, you know? So when you have an e-collar on and your dog knows what it is and you've taught it well, it's very positive and it's just another training tool. And not all dogs need them, but some dogs do excellently. I know Austin, Austin has one for Ori, his dog, and I've one for mine. I know a few other people with them. And if they're used, used in the right way, they're probably one of the best tools there is. So say, Mike, um, say with our current situation with Suggsy, um, now I I, mm. I know with say with the he's, he's relentless with my mother like with the ankles yeah. and, and biting away yeah, 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 yeah. during yeah. during cooking times would would, it, would an e collar if that was persistent and and nothing was working would an e collar be suitable for a situation like that? You could. I personally don't use it for really corrective purposes. And um, so other trainers like trainers I really look up to will use it for that. So once the dog has been conditioned to the e-collar and they know what the stimulation means, then you can use it for corrections and kind of stop unwanted behaviors pretty quickly. But me and kind of my methodology, that's just not how, that's just not the way I do it. I'm not against that. It can work really well, but I'd much rather kind of take maybe a different approach than just than reverting to e-collar to stop behaviors. I use e-collar only really for recall sometimes i'll use it for for heel on a walk if the dog gets ahead i'll give him give him a little tap on it and it, all it is is a tap on the shoulder like you can be in my house and you'll press and my dog will just look back at me like it's not like you shock him and he jumps and hides like yeah, yeah, yeah. i think we just have this idea like we play into the again we kind of set it up when we say when people talk about those collars and say, oh, like shock collars, you know, like straight away, you have an opinion about it when you hear shock collar and dog. You think yeah. of a dog being electrocuted instead of actually, no, this is like we use technology in every aspect of our life. Why are we not using it with dogs? You know, we've progressed so much. There's units out there that use incredible technology. Like, let's if it can if it can help and work, like let's use that, you know, let's use everything we have. It's we're in the 21st century. That's, that's what progression is. You know? One of one of the questions that we have here as well, and just uh, again, uh, rescue related was, uh, hang on, I'll just bring it up. Uh, this person says that they, they have a rescue who gets on great with everyone in the house, but there's one family member who the dog is terrified of. They've never abused them. They've never done anything. They, they spend time trying to get the dog to like them. But for whatever reason, the dog just runs and cowers under the table or behind a chair or anywhere that that person can't reach them. Is there anything we can do beyond trying to spend more time with the dog that could help this situation? Um, that, well, that's interesting. I presume it's probably maybe a different sex to the other people in the house. Like as in the mm. person, the dog's scared of could maybe be a man. And sometimes that happens with dogs. They kind of differentiate sex or it could be a woman. And what I would do is just do, I would not be forcing the dog to like him or okay. her at all. I would just let the dog do its thing. And over time, the more the dog sees 
that that person isn't a threat and sees that that person is part of the family and that person's sticking around, it'll become more comfortable. And the worst thing that person can do is kind of get their hand in the dog's face and say like, hey, like I'm fine, take some food from me and stuff. Because look, if you're scared of spiders, then someone sticks a spider in your face, it's going to kind of <laughs> confirm your fear. Yeah, you know? yeah. So like, I have no problem with a spider if it's across the room, but if it's in front of me, I'll probably move. So it's yeah. the same. So what the person would probably do um, is take the dog's food and maybe throw it on the ground in front of them. And it's important not to let them take it from the hand because then you create conflict in the dog. So because the dog wants the food, but maybe emotionally and behaviorally doesn't want to actually go to the person. So you create conflict there. So it's much better just throwing the food away from you. So it's coming from okay. you, but it's onto the floor, you know, yeah. and then just don't don't force those things like let 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 like a nice systematic desensitization is, is good just over time very very slowly the dog will start just go for walks and let mm. the person hold the lead let the person the dog's care of just walk beside the dog play play is a huge one play tug play fetch play as much as you can and yeah. um, that'll start to open the dog up a bit is there uh, is is there something in it as well about then recognizing dogs kind of body language and um, how, how they behave in scenarios like you mentioned it when you were talking about your dog like look look at his tail and you'll see that like he's a happy dog mm-hmm. that kind of thing like recognizing those little small things that like like so, some stuff everyone knows kind of tail wagon or whatever you know everyone just thinks happy dog or whatever but like yeah, yeah, yeah. How important is it to be able to spot your dog's body language to, to know, like, all right, no, lads, don't don't get too close now. So in that scenario, if that yeah. dog is afraid of a family member, for example, and you're saying don't create a conflict. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that, that that's a great question. Yeah, it is important. And, like, the good thing about dogs is they kind of tell us everything with their bodies, you know, uh, especially tell us before it's going to happen, like, if you're unfortunate enough to get bitten by a dog, I'd say the signs have been there. You know, you just didn't see mm. the, the dog was telling you to back off or the dog was telling you he was about to bite you. So it is important that you that you have a basic understanding of their body language. Like you can always, you always know when two dogs are going to fight, you know, you can kind yeah. of see it if, if, if your dog's ever gone up to another dog or vice versa. There's kind of a bit of a standoff there. And um, so it is important. Like, I mean, fear is the easiest one. Everyone kind of knows fear, like tail between the legs, dog, low center of gravity, kind of crouching a little bit. That would be kind of extreme fear. And um, but tail wagging as well. Yeah, it means happy dog, but also dogs that are stimulated or aroused in any way will wag their tail, even if they're yeah. on defense or barking and stuff, they'll still wag their tail. Um, and it actually boils down to even dogs that, that, that are maybe um, in defense drive, that are stimulated their tails will actually wag could well not always but sometimes will wag a little bit more to the left and um, instead of right the way across so it might go more to the left and then back to the center instead of the full the full spectrum so there's little things like that now every dog yeah. is different but i know in defense sometimes that can happen okay cool cool go, go to info there anyway yeah Mero, have, you got, such... have you got any more? We've we've a few more minutes. I want to take up all of Max evening, although we could we could ah, be here all night. I'm fine, yeah. Is there You'll such regret thing that, Mac. We'll be here at eleven o'clock still asking you questions. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? So. Is there such thing as bad breeds? Um, bad what do you mean in terms of bad? I think the question means um Oh, sorry, that was a question. Sorry, yeah. I thought you were just asking that. Um like is in breeds that are 
Like I again, it really depends. Like, like breeds, what do you think breeds that are banned from dog parks. I think. Oh, did you say banned or bad? Banned. No, no. Oh, what I meant, what I meant was, is there such thing as bad breeds? As in, like, why are they um, banned from the dog park? Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, so maybe breeds that, like, uh, like perhaps have the the component to be maybe aggressive or something yeah, like that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, look, genetics is everything in dogs, right? Genetics, it's about sixty percent genetics, right? Um, and then the rest is training. Even more, sometimes seventy percent genetics. Genetics is everything. Genetics is everything with people too, but with dogs, it is really the jumping off point. And if you have a dog with good genetics and it's strong and genetically strong, your training is going to be a lot easier. If you have a dog with bad genetics, it's going to make it a lot harder, right? Just to contextualize that for you, like I was with a puppy the other day and that was 10 weeks, right? And it was scared to take food from the owner's hand, as in it wouldn't come out from under the table. At 10 weeks, that is not good, Right. And that's not because the dog's ever had a bad experience. That's just poor genetics. That's because maybe the mother or the father wasn't a strong dog and was maybe a bit fearful. And so that's played through. So now that dog has a baseline of fear and a bit of uh, kind of hesitancy towards people. So if that's not harnessed correctly, that gets very difficult. So when you get into your guarding breeds like Rottweilers and German Shepherds and stuff, they're very powerful dogs. And if you get an idiot with those dogs coupled with bad genetics, because usually if an idiot is getting one of these dogs for it to be aggressive, they're not doing their research. So they are getting a dog with maybe poor genetics. You do have kind of a disaster waiting to happen. Mainly not because that dog's aggressive, mainly because that dog's insecure, you know, and aggression is very, very rare. Actually, it's usually always insecurity, but bad dogs, there are, there's a reason why a German Shepherd is a German Shepherd and a Golden Retriever is a Golden Retriever. There is a difference. So it's this, I'm not for the banned breed law. It doesn't make sense to me. It hasn't been thought through. It's just a bunch of people that came up and said, these dogs look scary, so we'll ban them. So I, I, I'm not for that law as such, but you can do a lot more damage with, with a Rottweiler than you can with a Golden Retriever or a Labrador. You just can't. And it's not in how you raise them always. There are going to be certain genetic tendencies that will take over when that dog hits a year, when that dog fully matures and becomes a dog, then you'll see the genetics. And it doesn't matter how much training you do, unless you're a really skillful trainer, you'll be battling that. And it'll be an uphill battle, you know. But dogs like Staffies and all that, they're beautiful dogs. They're great dogs. I have no issues with them. They're really great dogs. I love my next dog will probably be a Rottweiler. Like I love Rottweilers. Mm. I love German Shepherds. And I love all of these dogs. It's just people usually have insecure Rottweilers or German Shepherds and they're lunging at the end of the lead. So someone goes, Oh, look how aggressive that dog is. But really, that dog has just been failed by the owner. And the owner hasn't given that dog any direction. So that dog's terrified of other dogs and is reacting to get those other dogs to move you know and so yeah i mean there are dogs obviously german shepherds are one rottweilers akitas and people and yeah have a kind of tarnished reputation part of that is because of maybe mainstream media 
Um, but again, part of that is because if you get a Lamborghini and you don't have a driver's license, it probably isn't going to go well. You know, <laughs> yeah, it's kind yeah. of the same with these dogs. It, it is you are dealing with more dog. You know, like give someone a dog who's like somebody who's never had a dog. You give them a Labrador and tell them to raise that dog. You give that same person a Rottweiler. It's going to be tough. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Do do your research, people. Do your research before you. Yeah. Uh, and don't do buy your... a dog on how it looks, because chances are he'll get the wrong dog. Yeah. <laughs> that's that's mad, isn't it? Because I know one of the things, and I know the whole adopt, don't shop, and all that kind of thing, and and well, they're, they're positive messages, like sometimes people do they have an affinity for a certain breed and whatever so if you're doing it in a responsible way i'm I'm not opposed yeah. to kind of people buying a dog oh, if it's done if it's done the right way um yeah. you know bu- buying it off done deal in a car park probably not a good option um but but yeah. I, I think there is there's this thing about kind of designer breeds or dogs that are in fashion and that kind of thing and and people do have a bit of a tendency maybe to to go with the fad or not do their research and i think kind of some of the stuff you were talking about there definitely comes into that there's irresponsible owners who think the dog will look good or they'll look good with the dog and then that dog is going to suffer ultimately because it doesn't get the training or the time that it needs in order to be you know a, a good boy essentially yeah 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 100%. it's mad how far i just want it's 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 mad how far it's all come because me and my mother were just talking this evening and uh Suggsy was just messing about in the kitchen and um he was he was really good with her today like he did I don't think he went for her today um but she was just saying that when she was kids when she was a kid and and they had dogs dogs were just like in the in the local council estate dogs were just yeah riding everything and getting pregnant <laughs> And then your neighbour had a dog. A bit like the young ones in Ballybrack, Graham. <laughs> and you would just get a dog. You would just get a dog, like, one day randomly um, because your neighbour's dog had a dog. And then when that dog grow, grew up, like, my mum was saying that we'd let the dog out of the house at 9 o'clock in the morning. He'd go for a ramble around the estates and he'd be back looking for his dinner at 6 o'clock. He'd be outside yeah. the gate waiting. You know, it's just, it's mad how things have evolved to, to, you know, don't, you know what Danny was saying there, uh, what did you say, Danny, adopt, don't shop, and don't meet people in a car park, and it's... Do do, do your bit of research before you commit yeah. to... But you know. again, I'll, 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 yeah, I mean, also, you could, you'd say, Graham, like, I bet dogs back then were a hell of a lot better behaved than they are now. Yeah, I think they were. Um, I think so. I don't think because you know, in a in a kind of in maybe a way, maybe in an innocent way, they were they were treated like dogs, you know, and they weren't anthropomorphized and like treated like babies. So the dog kind of had to gear up and be like, right, I it's either do or die in this situation. I got to be a dog. Like the best example is you look at homeless people's dogs; they're always perfect. They're always so mm-hmm. well behaved. Why? Because they they don't know when they're their next meal's coming and they literally have to they kind of this guy because because the result is is probably death you know there's a road there's buses i'm in a city like you especially go to any countries in europe and you see you see homeless folks with dogs the dogs are just no lead walking around Mm. following them everywhere 
because their basic needs are essentially met in terms of exercise and they 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 have exercise and they have a good relationship with the person so i think back then when you when your mom was talking about you don't have half the problems you have now yeah it's mad it's it's even like we were when we were talking about it, we were thinking about even like 10 years ago in our no not 10 years ago when i was a teenager in our estate we, yeah. na- we named about four or five dogs um, that you would just see roaming past your house. They'd stop maybe for a pet and then they'd just walk away. And yeah. like we, yeah, we, yeah. we named four or five character dogs that air stay and in air stay, everyone knew the dog, like just because, and, and the yeah, dog wasn't yeah. walked. There was no fetch. There was just, they were let out. Um, dog behind me, Tiger was just sitting outside his gate every day, watching the cars go by. You know, you, you you don't get that anymore. And I don't know what point I'm trying to make, but I, I'm just I'm just rambling saying it's mad how kind of uh, regulated and pristine we've got with the whole process. Like, I, I don't... We picked up Suggsy from a car park <laughs> in Leitrim. <laughs> now, the, the, the breeder was a one, one-time breeder um that he bred on a farm like he owns a farm with his parents and we couldn't go to the house because covid and stuff like that so sometimes i do like jesus did we do the right thing and getting the dog but like Suggsy seems okay he's he's a he's a purebred breed you know so it's just mad how how more and i do believe everything has to be regulated i'm not trying to argue against that i'm just saying it's just mad how everything is gone i think there's probably too many dogs is there mike yeah i think there, there there's too many dogs not that there's too many i think too many people have the wrong dogs you know right and people buy i like this is going to sound controversial like listen i've had loads of rescue dogs before and um, so i've rescued dogs i've bought dogs i've been on waiting lists for dogs and um, so i've kind of done both sides but dogs that come from good breeders usually this is going to sound like i'm being an asshole here usually don't end up in rescues why because there's contracts so the pearson the the breeder says you're contractually obliged to bring this dog back to me if in a year's time you decide you don't want it anymore so it doesn't get done dogs that turn around if i have a dog and then graham you have a dog i have a i don't know a French bulldog and you have a French bulldog. We turn around and go, hey, look, pups are going for three, four grand a pop. Do you want to get them together? No health tests are done. Nobody knows if the dog might have a heart murmur or maybe have hip dysplasia or have um, a bad elbow or hip score or something like that. We pop the dogs together. We get puppies that all look cute at, at when they're born and stuff, look like they're fine. And then the genetics are shit because we don't know the lines. The dog could actually probably be, end up being related. And then there's no contracts. It's just, yeah, this one's uh, this color, so it's five grand. That one's six grand. That one's two grand. And they're like, oh, it's great. And then people don't want the dogs anymore, and they let them go, you know? Of course, there are situations where there's, look, their rescues are filled with absolutely beautiful dogs. There are gems. And you can, of course, get a gem of a dog from, from bad breeding. But the majority of responsible breeders' dogs don't end up in those situations. Yeah, because it's... the protocols are met, you know? It is. It's. It's mad that you're saying that because I remember, like, when we were we were getting these dogs, um, 
as I said, like we 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 went for the pub, uh, Lupo, and kind of we we went, we met them, and we 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 met Callie, the the mom dog, while while she was pregnant, and we kind of got to see how she interacts with other dogs and all that, and all those yeah. kind of little kind of things that you're saying that like we knew the people that we were dealing with were responsible because essentially they put us through for 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 yeah. one of a better term an interview process before they agreed mm-hmm. to let us uh, purchase a pup off them. Um, and then kind of we, we you know stayed in touch with them throughout everything and then when it came time to get Lupo one thing and the other they they essentially were in a point where kind of they're, they're an elderly couple and they have a, a number of dogs they've been involved in, in shows and that kind of thing for years and essentially they got to the point where they were like look Lupo's going to be the last pup to go we don't really want to separate him from, from Cali would you guys like to take Cali as well and give her you know a better life than kind of as a, as a family pet, essentially, rather than sure. kind of, you know, but but like you said, they they did they made it very clear to us that if for whatever reason after you know nine months a year, whatever it is, it we we can't just abandon them. That like it's in the contract that you have to bring them back, that kind of thing. Yeah. And it was like because yeah. I remember at the time thinking, Jesus, that's I've never heard that before. But then yeah, I, I read about it and it is quite normal from a good breeder kind of thing. So it's good to know yeah, that like, those I mean, practices are in feel- place. It should feel like you're jumping through hoops, you know, it really should. And I think a lot of breeders too um, kind of make up waiting lists as well to see if you turn around and say, yeah, there's a year waiting list, see what your response is. If you turn around and go, oh, forget it, like, Grant, I just weeded you out. But if you're like, yeah, no problem, that's fine, I'm willing to wait, he's like, oh, okay, you know, yeah. this person is willing to wait, wait for the right dog. And if you are willing to wait for the right dog, it'll probably be the right dog. You know, yeah, and like Sookie's a great example. Like you're saying, Graham, like you did, you did get him in a, in a car park or whatever. But like from a from a breeder. But like, look, Sookie's a great dog. He's not scared. He's not nervy. He's not a bag of nerves. I've met the dog. He's really nice. He's just a very sweet temperament. He's also bloody gorgeous. So of course there are exceptions. Maybe in this situation, it was a really good breeder. They just didn't want you coming to their house for COVID. You know, so maybe you're yeah. lucky and because you you have a great dog and kind of that's all that matters now and like you can get great dogs but i think yeah ireland is a bit of a shit show for regulating breeding like you can you're allowed have i think up to two three hundred bitches in essentially a breeding facility which is a puppy farm jesus and that's in the law you're allowed to do that you know it's crazy you my gosh that. yeah that's pumping. outrageous you can be man. making there's a family in, I think they're in Wexford or Tipperary, one of the two, right? They're making over a million quid a year in puppies. What? Over Jesus Christ. They have, three, they have 300 bitches in the facility, right? 300. It is yeah, like numbers we're talking about. Like, we're talking... We're talking like almost like a poultry farm numbers. It is crazy. So when you do buy that cute fluffy puppy, and again, I am not breed racist as it is, but a lot of times it is cavapoos, cockapoos and stuff. And I work with Mm. so many cockapoos and so many of them are great. But I also see the bad side of them that have come from these places and they yeah. aren't great. And the and I feel bad for the people because the people don't know, you know, yeah. and there's no point in me telling the people because it's too late. But when you do buy that puppy, you that person gets to eat tonight because you paid their you paid their bill. 
you know, and that yeah. puppy, that, that, that mother dog just reproduces again next year and that keeps happening. And then it has no life. It's in a cage, you know, I can't believe that. Uh, yeah. That, that yeah. My it's not, like there's a vet I know, and uh, well, I don't actually know her, but on Instagram, I follow her and she was going through dogs.ie and um, the other day on her, her Instagram story and it was saying underneath you could see registered number of bitches per per breeding facility as it were and somewhere 150 100 300 90 50 60 70 250 300 Jesus. it was it was nuts nuts so when people are turning around and go like look that's i'm making 1.5 million a year here why am i going to stop because these people keep buying from me yeah that's so that's insane. where the adopt don't shop kind of agenda comes from and if if you do have to push it that way to stop these places, I get it, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, like, I'm not against getting a puppy. I've gotten a puppy. Like I said, I've gotten puppies. If you get a puppy from a good breeder, fair play to you. There's nothing wrong with it, and you shouldn't feel shamed about it either. Um, but if you're getting a puppy from somewhere you don't know, it, it, it is tough, you know? It's tough. It is. Mero, we're, we're nearly out of time, so we have. I, I reckon we can get one more question in before we release Mac back to a normal no, life. I'm, and I'm not. fine, lad. I'm fine. <laughs> release him back. Go for it. <laughs> um, what was I going to say? I had a follow-up question there. No, it's gone. Sorry. It's gone. Grant, yeah. do, we ha- do you have any more listeners' questions, or did you get through most of the ones that you wanted to cover off? No, I got through most of the ones. I was going to say, I know some of them. Some of them are duplicates anyway. We got a couple of people asking yeah. the same thing. Uh, well, Mac, Mac, the last one I asked. Oh, yeah. Is, sorry, this is a, this is a, sorry. This is an Instagram question. Um, is is it okay to nip a dog? As it, I think that means like hit him on the nose. Oh, um, I my answer is no. And just because I don't want anything negative coming from me, you can give a correction on the leash, sure. And um, but again, you should probably be shown how to do that. I don't want to tap the dog on the nose and then next, then what? Twenty minutes later, give it a piece of food. It's gonna turn around and go, "Well, hold on. Last time you hit me, why? Well, well, what am I getting now?" So then you kind of maybe have a bit of a disjointed relationship. Like I can give my dog corrections, but it doesn't harm the relationship because the corrections are coming from the lead or the collar, you know. And it's not directly from my body part going to the dog. So anytime the dog comes near my hands, it's very positive. It's for it's for food or a ball or a tug. So I'd say I wouldn't get into the realms of that. And if you feel like you have to do that, um, you, I'd say probably get a crate and utilize it and manage the situation maybe a little better. Sorry, that actually sounded so rude. <laughs> I didn't mean to come across as like such an asshole. I love when I'm you really do your Q and A's on on your Instagram page, and the and the questions come up, and you're like, I'm gonna sound very rude here, but <laughs> yeah, it's just it, like from my point of view, a lot of it is like, and I appreciate every single answer and stuff, and everything possible, but a lot of it is just the same stuff, you know? Yeah. Um. Mac, th- thanks so much uh, for not only giving us a load of information and for helping people out who got in touch with us and all that, but for uh, your time and yeah, just uh, I- I'm definitely going to try to hand feed with the lads and see how I get on. Yeah. Um, but if people want to to get in touch with you, if people want to follow you and watch some of those Q and A's that Meryl was talking about there, where where can they do it? Yeah, so I run everything through Instagram, so it's just called Good Boy Dog Training. It'll come up. I also have a website, but 
the website, like it, the website is mainly again a vehicle for the Instagram. So Instagram's where to get me. Just if you want to book a session or have a chat or something, just send me a message. And Amazing. what's the future hold for a good boy dog training? What what what's the dream or what's the what what do you hope for? Yeah, I try. Hopefully, the goal is to get a facility. And um, I've been trying for the last six months to get somewhere. And the kind of business is growing very, very fast, which is great. Touch wood, it keeps going that way. So as we're kind of on the upward, upward path, I really want to get a spot where I can kind of run a daycare, have training, have a facility, maybe do board and train. So you send a dog for three weeks, four weeks, do things like that, hire people and all that kind of stuff. But it's just finding the location is what, what the problem is, you know. So once we find a location, then hopefully that's the goal. And the next, this time next year, when we do our next podcast, hopefully well, that'll be somewhere on the on, in the works. Next year, we'll be hoping to have you every three or four months with the amount of I was, was going to say, yeah, yeah. <laughs> the, Sorry, Mac, there was, a, there was another question about yeah, um, yeah, how, how uh, jumping, how do you stop jumping? I think I assume yeah, it's a puppy. So that, that, yeah, like that depends if it's jumping on you or another person. If the dog's jumping on me, I don't see that too much as a problem because it usually means the dog wants to do something. So mm. usually means the dog's motivated and kind of wants to work. So I can kind of use that energy. If it's on other people, you got to make sure other people aren't winding your dog up. I like getting in your dog's face and trying to pet it and stuff. The last thing you want is trying to teach your dog not to jump. But then someone's like, oh, your puppy's so cute and gets in their face. So in those situations... You just have to, again, be a manager and think of the situations you're putting your dog. Why is your dog allowed to jump on someone in the first place? Why are you in that situation? Why are you in that situation with your dog? What is there to gain for you and your dog in that situation? Is your dog going to learn? And if you are on a walk or something and you meet a friend, give your dog a job. So have food in your pocket and just start letting your dog eat out of your hand. So I'm talking to you. I'm like, hey, how are you? Nice to meet you. Meanwhile, my other hand is essentially at my dog's mouth and he's eating out of my hand, sitting down. Very so good. now what's happening is the dog is completely neutral to that person. I say to the person, hey, please ignore the, pu- the puppy. I'm trying to train him. And the dog's focused on me and he's eating and he's nice and calm. Is that common, the jumping? Yeah, it is. Um, but a lot of it is a lot of it is the people's fault. You know, Everybody ignores the dog when it's calm. Everybody wants to play with the dog when it's hyper. So the dog thinks it gets attention when it jumps up on you. But if you can reward your dog when it's calm and doing nothing, your dog is going to start choosing to be calm, especially around the house. You know, if you can just go up and put a piece of food in your dog's mouth when he's asleep, he'll start choosing to chill out more. And out in public, it's hard because, you know, especially with COVID, everyone's waiting outside for coffee and stuff. And then everyone's getting in dog's faces and the dog's jumping up and stuff like that. Mm. So as an owner, you just have to kind of, turn around and just like sorry please don't talk to him don't touch him like i'm trying to train him and then usually people are quite quite receptive to that lovely and in terms of the facility um if anyone is listening look out for some facilities in the Dunleary, yeah. glass hill sandy sandy cove area uh give us a shout if you what what size facility are you are you talking about yeah or? i was like ideally like probably around between like a thousand to two thousand square foot like i don't want like i'm not like i don't have that much money so <laughs> it can't be it can't be that big and yeah like industrial rent isn't too bad obviously it's not as expensive as, as a house and stuff for her renting an apartment so about 1500 square foot would be great 
um, just somewhere for winter too that I could get dogs that way I could get dogs to come to me and work with them that way and Brilliant it's just though. finding a spot you know I know Anyone often you were struggling for a space too when they were yeah the for, lab, uh, for so. A while. so if anyone's listening and they know that uh, know the area give us a shout and we, to help our good old friend Mac on Danny yeah yeah Mac it's it's been a pleasure and uh, if you do get something up and running I'll have to take a trip up from Port Leash with the Wolfpack to give them a couple yeah. hours with you yeah listen I've, uh, I've enjoyed a lot lad thanks a million thanks so much Mac and uh Thanks to everybody that uh, has listened. Appreciate it. I enjoyed that chat. Enjoyed Mac. Enjoyed learning. Oh God, right, Love that dogs. was. Um, and do and check out Mac on Instagram at Goodboy underscore Dog Train. It's brilliant, and all his highlights um, are brilliant as well. Yeah. Dan, yo, that was lovely. It was. I enjoyed that, Graham. And should other people listening have enjoyed this uh, encounter? Where could they listen to the preceding 221 audio presentations that we have given them? They go on to any podcast provider and they just type in WTS pod and you'll get all our wonderful previous audio presentations. Um, you can get us on Spotify, Podcast Republic, anywhere and anywhere, everywhere and anywhere. You can, <laughs> you can also go to WTSpod.com and you can check out our Twitter at WTSpod. Um, also, you can go if you want to, uh, the lads out there or the girls who listen who want to buy the lads anything. Um, you can also go to manscaped.com um, to feel, or if you want to feel great down below, below the belt, you can get um, any Manscaped products with 20% off. Just enter the coupon WTSPOD and you'll get 20% off plus free shipping. That's it. The best in men's below the waist grooming and girls. Don't let your fella be lazy. Don't let them have town halls that look like angry Rastafarians. Give them the gift of grooming this Christmas. Manscaped.com, WTS pod, and that's 20% off and free shipping. I'm telling you now, they'll be smooth and fresh. You'll love it, they'll love it. We'll all be a lot cleaner. Anyway, Mero. Yes. Until, until next week. Till next week. Um, clear eyes. All hearts. Can't lose too sweet